Welcome to Canyon Hills. Aren't you excited to be here this morning? Thank you for joining us online. We are so excited that you're bringing us into your homes. And folks, I'm just excited to be here this morning. We are actually starting a new series, a two-part series today, that will take us into Mother, I mean, to Father's Day, and it's called The Man in the Mirror. And we had to find that video because people told me that they didn't want me to sing. So uh, we, we ended up doing that. But right before the message, I just want to tell you a quick story about this, this new pastor, this young pastor that moved into this really small town. And he needed to mail a letter, so he says, you know, how big can this town be? So I'm just going to go out there and drive around and look for this place. But after driving around, he can't find it. He sees a boy on the street, and he rolls down his window and says, hey, do you know where the post office is? And the little boy proceeds to give him directions to the post office. And he's about to drive away, and then he pauses and looks out the window and says, you know, young son, young man, you know, why don't you come to church this Sunday where I'm going to tell people how to get to heaven? And the little boy replies, and I don't know, mister, you don't even know how to get to the post office. So <laughs> if you don't like that joke, just come back. There's always next week. You know, there's always next week. They'll, hopefully they won't get worse. But thank you again for being here this morning. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned as a pastor over the last, I think it's about 12 years now, is that when you have a seminar, or when you have a topic or a talk or a series or whatever, and it talks about sex, or it talks about marriage, or it talks about dating, or it talks about sex, that people tend to show up. Even people who don't believe in Jesus tend to show up to those kind of topics. And I think what that tells me and what that tells us is the fact that we tend to struggle in the areas of relationships. You see, we have a lot of dysfunction. We have a lot of disappointment. We have a lot of unrealistic expectations when it comes to relationships. In fact, did you guys know that there is over 3 billion contacts on social media? That is 3 billion connections around the world. That, folks, is a lot of opinions. That includes all of your friends, by the way. And then you would think that with this technology that we would be the most connected generation. And the fact is that it is true electronically. And they discovered that out of those 3 billion accounts, there's about 50 million fake accounts. And the first thing I thought of is like, well, yeah, there's always going to be people that are going to try to you know, lie, steal, and cheat. But the reality is that those accounts exist because there are people who don't want you to know who they are because they're afraid that if you really get to know who they are, that you wouldn't like them. Therefore, they build all of these fake profiles just so they can fit in. And what it boils down to for all of us and our relationships and for everything that is going, and I mean everything that is going on around us, it boils down to what we see when we look in the mirror. And in Matthew chapter 22, there is this passage of Scripture that if you've been around church for a little bit, you're going to recognize this Scripture. Starting in verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees is a group of people who are one segment of the religious leaders. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees, it says, got together. Now, let's pause it for a second because you would think that Jesus has already quieted one of those groups that you would think that now the Pharisees would say, you know, let's not mess with that guy. But that kind of tells you how the Pharisees were. They wanted to corner Jesus. They wanted to get him to accept or say that he was who, or that he wasn't who he claimed to be. 
And one of them in verse 35 says, an expert in the law tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now for us, the first thing that comes to mind or the first thing that came to mind for me is that we're thinking about the Ten Commandments. But by the time that Jesus had arrived here on earth, the religious system of Israel had added addendums and footnotes, such so that by the time they asked Jesus this question, there's not Ten Commandments, there's 613 commandments. So this expert of the law is actually asking Jesus, out of these 613 commandments that supposedly make us holy, which one is the greatest? And I love that Jesus just replies, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And, and I just love how the hostility just immediately gets diffused with the answer. You know, Jesus is saying, you're trying to pin me against the wall. You're trying to understand whether I'm from God or not. Well, the answer to your question, if you want to know the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And one of the reasons that the answer is so diffusing and so cutting is because it just resonates with what is woven into our hearts. You see, these words make this connection according to every fiber of our existence, and that is because God created us with this innate desire to be in relationship and to have connections with others. And when he created us, he did it all with those connections, and they all start at the heart level. They all start in here, and because I'm sure you, you've seen examples of people who get in trouble when they marry folks when they only have a physical connection instead of a heart connection, right? Because we know that the basis of all relationships starts at the heart level. So if he says you have to start loving God with all of your heart, but we all know that, that, that love and relationships is more than just heart. So he says then you have to do it with all of your soul because he knows that we have emotions and that we have free will. So he's saying love God with your heart and love God with your soul. And then here's one that he says, love God with all of your mind. And we tend to get criticized over that as Christians, as believers of God, because a lot of people believe that if we believe in Christ, that we must be weak, that we must, you know, need a crutch, and that's why we have to follow Christ. But the fact that we're born again doesn't mean that we have to check our mind out. The fact that we're born again doesn't mean that we have to remove our mind and not think about it, that it's all about faith. You know, it's the renewing of our mind. It is not the removal of our mind. God wants you to love him with all of your mind. That means that he wants you to love him with all of your reasoning, with all of your thoughts, with all of your decision-making process. Because the greatest commandment he begins to say is love God with all of your heart, soul, and your mind. And then one of the gospel writers in another gospel adds the words with all of your strength. In other words with everything that you are, all of you, all of your being, all in. And then he goes on to verse 38, doesn't even take a breath. And he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So they come to Jesus and say, hey, we want you to give us one answer. And God gives them two. He said, oh, and there's another thing. It's just like the first thing. It is the, most, the second most important thing. Because 
Don't you guys know that that's the way God answers sometimes? We ask him a question, hey, hey, what about that promotion, God, or what about that job? And he says, you know what? You're in the wrong city, and you need to prioritize your family more. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you know, I got some comments on social media this week, and somebody says, you know, I like what you said uh, uh, about loving God and loving others and you standing in the middle, but, man, that's easy, a lot easier said than done. So I know it gets really tricky. I know that it's hard, and, and, and this is where it gets tricky because when you talk about your neighbors, first of all, some of us don't even know our neighbors. And then we say, you know, the neighbor next to me, this guy, I like that guy, but that guy in the front, the, the Johnsons, man, the Johnsons, I don't know if I can love them. I don't know because they're always working on their cars in the, in, in the driveway and their garage looks like storage wars. And come to think of it, come to think of it, that guy at work, Mr. Smith, he's a little creepy. He, he, he's maybe a little in the, I don't, yeah, no, this is where it gets tricky. This is where some people stop to track. Yet Jesus, we can't hide the scripture. He makes it clear. He says, I want you to love God all in, and I want you to love people all in. And then not only does he say that, and he goes on into verse 40 and says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, what he's been trying to tell us from the beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden up until this moment, this very moment right now, is that everything, and I mean everything, is wrapped up into these two. Love God, love people, all in. Why is that? That is because those two shape everything else. It shapes how we love. It, it, it shapes, those two greatest commandments shape your relationships, all that you are, all that you do, and all that you say. So, consequently, if you don't get these two commandments right, it's going to be difficult to get anything else right. Because everything hinges on these two. If you don't get these commandments right, that means that every relationship you have is going to tend to be fragmented. It's going to tend to be illegitimate with faulty foundations, and, and they will fall apart at the first sign of a shake. And what we need to realize is that every relationship in life is informed by these two commandments. Love God all in, love others all in. And you guys remember the song, right? I mean, most of you were kind of moving along to the song that you heard right there, the man in the mirror. And I asked myself, and now I'm asking you, who stands between loving God and loving others? Who stands in the gap? You do. And what do you see? What do you see when you look in the mirror? So the greatest relationship according to this scripture, is with God. We understand that. But then you would think that the second greatest relationship is with others. But the fact is that our second greatest relationship is not with your spouse. It is not with your kids. It is not even with your boss, your friends, or your social connections. Your second greatest relationship is with yourself. Because we stand in the gap. Because the person that you spend the most time with is you. In fact, the person you talk to the most is you. That is when it starts to get a little deep because what you feel about yourself, what you think about yourself is based on what you've been telling yourself. 
So you see, your primary relationship with God shapes your relationships with yourself, which then allows you to have proper relationships with everyone else. Therefore, what we tell ourselves is really important because it affects to affect all of those around you. And that's because you can give somebody something that you don't believe that you have received. You can give what you don't believe that you have received. And what tends to get in the way of that is a lot of things. But one of the things that tends to get in the way of that is the fact that sometimes we believe that God can't relate to us. I mean, we believe that he exists. You know, he's the big man upstairs, we say. And oftentimes we think that he's just up there, but we think about it. I mean, does he really, I'm in sales, does he really care about the sales process and, and making the deal? I mean, does he, I'm in finance, does he really care about the numbers and getting deep into understanding how they work? Or I'm in derivatives, or I write code, I'm in research and development. I mean, fill in the blank, does he really care? Can he really relate to me? Or if you want to get a little deeper, maybe a little closer, how can God relate in my rejection? I mean, does God know what it's like to have a son who isn't flying straight, who's doing drugs and alcohol? Or does he know what it means to have a doctor tell you that there's nothing they can do and that you have an incurable disease? Can God relate to that? Or how does God relate to me when I know that my spouse is cheating? Or how does God relate to me when I just found out my husband is, you know, looking at pornography? I mean, how does, I know that he loves me, but I'm not sure that he's even really there or that he really cares about me or relates to me or that he can even gets me. And I think deep down inside, we know the answer to that question. You know, and that is that, of course, he gets you. Of course, he's with you. Of course, he's always been there. And I think we know that when we start to realize that if you opened up your Bible this morning to that chapter that I told you, chapter 22, you're going to notice that the words that we read were in red, which tells us that they are the very words of Jesus himself. In other words, these are not the words of a preacher standing up just giving his opinion. I'm not the one that came up with those words. It was the voice of God himself saying, you can do this because I became like you so that you would have a model and so that I can show you the way. You see, God is not one of those guys who tells you, you know, I'll meet you have ways. He doesn't say, you take one step, I'll take one step, and we'll meet in the middle. The truth is that we couldn't even meet him halfways. You see, God sent his son all the way to earth, not halfway, all the way down to earth for you and for me. And he became God in the flesh. That is why the Bible said that we were created in his image. Jesus came to earth not in spirit, but in body and flesh. And if you guys remember, even after his resurrection, he goes to Thomas and says, you know, touch me. I'm just not this distant deity. Go ahead and touch me. That means that he walked where you walked. He has experienced rejections. He understands what it means to celebrate at a party. He understands what it means to mourn at a funeral. He was tempted in all ways just like we are. He knew what everything was like. And if you think about it, think about it a little bit more. If all we needed was a sacrifice... He could have been sacrificed as a child. Yet Jesus allowed him to walk on earth for over three decades. Why is that? 
because he wanted us to know that he walked where we walked. He wanted us to know that he can relate to what we're going through, to show us what it was like to have a relationship with the Father and to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. God relates to us by relentlessly pursuing us. Sometimes we even wish he would go away, but yet he keeps showing up. I mean, sometimes we do everything in our power to go the opposite direction, to tick him off, and yet he extends his mercy no matter what happens. The Bible promises that every single, one of my favorite scriptures, every single morning his mercies are renewed. And aren't you glad that he doesn't give us what we deserve? I know I am. That is because his mercy met you when you got up this morning. And not only did he not give you what you deserve, he ended up giving you more than you could ever deserve. Genesis chapter 1 says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In other words, he created you to be just like him. And unless, realize that unless God does this supernaturally, the only way that people are going to get to know Christ is through you, through his people. And maybe, just maybe, that is why we're so messed up right now as a society. Because here's what happened. Sin enters the world, and the image of God in your life got blemished. The mirror, your mirror, got distorted. Such so that now, rather than living according to God's image of you, when you look in the mirror, you and I, because I'm there with you, may see things like failure. And we look in the mirror and we may see things like rejection. Oh man, I messed up yesterday. I lied. And that's what you see. Or maybe you see all of the pain that was caused by somebody else. And you start to think that I am unworthy. And that's what the reflection that you see in the mirror. Or you see a guy who's just getting by or somebody who's making it up as you go along and you see incompetence, bitterness, envy, defeat, pride, and the list goes on and on and on. What do you see when you look in the mirror? And guess what? Since I stand in the gap, now when I look at the world and other people, I look at them through my reflection of my own image. And because I have a distorted image of myself, we start, I start to believe things like, you know, if I'm unfaithful to my wife, is it, is it really that bad? I mean, it seems to be the norm around here. Everyone seems to be doing it in the world, right? It's all more of a cultural thing. Or if I, if I start to look at pornography, I may think like, you know what? I know so many people that do that. I'm not the only one. What's a big deal? It's just part of our world. That's a cultural thing. And the fact is that you may be right. That might be part of our world, but that is because we have broken and distorted mirrors. So rather than reflecting Christ and his image, I am reflecting a distorted view of myself and my experiences. And then we can take that a step further because then we start seeing other people's mirrors and then we start seeing that they're liars or they're cheat. And then we say things like, man, I'm so glad I'm not a liar and a cheat. I am so glad I am not like that guy. So now we can add the word judgmental to our mirror. 
So here's the point to all of this. Like I said, I know the facts are the facts. We know we stand in the gap. I know that there's a lot that we can do, and we need to really contemplate on what this means for us. But the reality is, knowing that it's so hard, what can we do about it? Well, one of the first things that we can do is that if you ever want to know what God thinks about anything, you're not going to find the answer in social media. You're going to find opinions on social media. And you're going to find that all of those opinions are based on people's mirrors, just like yours. So if you ever want to, go with God, ever want to know what God thinks, then you go to the image bearer himself. That means that you go to his word and you realize everything that he wants you to do, everything he wants you to say, and everything he wants you to think. That means as you read your word, you're going to find out things like where there is an abundance of sin that grace abounds. You're going to find things like where he says, hey, those of you that are without sin, cast the first stone. Because the God that we serve is not trying to condemn anyone. He is trying to free them by forgiving them. So what we need to do in light or in spite of those distorted mirrors as we look at his word. And Paul tells us in Romans 8 that for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Folks, that tells us that we are being conformed and transformed. That means that we need to get rid of our mirror. Instead, we need to be conformed and renewed to the image of Christ. And here's what is so important. Realize that it is a process. Realize that we are not there yet. It is a day-by-day transformation that has to happen. In the meantime, we need to work hard to break that mirror and instead, and here's the key to all of this, instead focus on the image that Jesus has of you. Because the image that Jesus has of you tells me and tells you that you are loved, that you have been chosen, that you have been redeemed, that he rejoices over you, that you are a holy priesthood, that you are forgiven purified, set apart, able, and called. Do you believe that? God wants to give you an abundance of love and grace and mercy over and over again. No matter how many times you messed up, he has an abundance for you. That means that he has shovels full of mercy, love, and grace. Every morning, he comes to you. What do you need? I love you. You want some mercy? Here's some mercy. You want some grace? Here's a shovel full of grace. You, you need some understanding and compassion today? Okay, here you go. Here's a shovel of compassion and understanding. You want forgiveness today? There it is. Just take it. It's all yours. Whatever you want. He says the price is paid, the debt is canceled, you need acceptance, I got you, you need patience, here you go. He comes to you every single morning and he says, what do you need? I want to give it to you. Our God shovels to you whatever you need every single morning. 
You know, this morning we came to church and we sang some awesome songs. We sang, this is my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story. I'll testify. We sang about who the sun sets free. And I was singing, but never mind. It's free indeed. I'm a, I'm a child of God. Oh, yes, I am. And then the words I really like from that song, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And folks, we came and we sang that with all of our hearts, and we meant it. And John 13 tells us that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here's how we find if we really believe that. Here's how we find if we really accept God's love, grace, and mercy. You will know because it is reflected in your relationships. And I think we have discovered, based on everything again that is going on around us, that we will gladly accept God's favor, shovels full in fact. We celebrate the shovel, but when it comes to me, or when it comes to us, we rather dispense with a spoon. And I walk around, and maybe you can relate. You know, I'm a believer of Christ. Here's some compassion. Here's a little spoonful for you. Here, there you go. Oh, you need forgiveness? Well, before I even give you my spoon, let me think about it. I, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. Let me pray about it. Oh, no, I'm going to talk to my, my small group about it. Let me see what they think. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast for about two years, and then I'll tell you if you're forgiven or not. Isn't it amazing that we celebrate the shovel, but we dispense with the spoon? This says something extremely important about, the, about us. This says that it's not about anyone else, that it is about me. And what it says about me is that I either haven't accepted my grace, mercy, and love, or I don't believe it. I haven't accepted the shovel fully because I can't give you something that I don't believe. I can't give you something that I don't have. What the spoon says is that I really, if I really believed the shovel, then I would dispense with the shovel. Because if you believed it, then you would, when you received it, then you would just dispense it. And when we truly believe what God says about us, folks, it changes everything completely. Yes, it's a work in progress. Yes, we are daily being conformed and transformed, but you will see it impacting every single relationship in your life. So, in the meantime, let's get rid of that mirror. Understand and realize that God can relate to you. That there is a God who came to meet you all the way, not halfway. That he has given you not what you deserve, but more than you can ever deserve. That he has given you grace and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. And he has given you shovels full so that you will impact the lives around you. Accept and receive what God says about you. Will you bow in prayer with me? Jesus, we thank you, Father, for your word this morning. 
Father, we ask that you would help us open our minds, our understanding, our capacity to believe and receive so that it's not just words that we've heard or a message that we just checked off, songs that we just sang. Lord, and I wonder how many people at the sound of my voice, Father, just don't like what they see in the mirror. Father, they may feel insecure, inadequate, maybe guilty, maybe even unloved. Lord, and I pray that if that's them, Father, that you would come before them in a very personal way. Lord, and that they would just understand that you want shovels full and you want to give them of this love and mercy and that they would just accept it. And if that's you this, this morning, I just want you to repeat this prayer in your heart silently and just say, God, I pray that as our, our identity is formed in our love for you, that you would allow us to truly love others as we love ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would help us with our unbelief. Help us to believe and receive what you say and believe about us. Lord, help me to see, receive, and accept your love, grace, and mercy. Lord, I want to believe and embrace that you love me. And Father, today I repent and I turn from my sins and I completely surrender my life to you. I want to pursue you and only you. And if there's someone listening to me right now that doesn't even know Jesus, doesn't even know all this thing about forgiveness and mercy and grace, then, then I, I just want you to repeat this prayer in your heart after me if that's you. And if you want to know Jesus and say, Father, I, I need your grace and forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died and rose for me so that I can know and follow you. Lord, fill me with your spirit so that I can follow you and live for you the rest of my life as best as I know how. Lord, my life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for that new life. Lord, and we pray all of these things, and we give you honor and glory. And we pray all these things in the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.